We acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Nature is more generous than we sort of often give credit and sometimes when we don't get it right then weeds are sent in to help correct what we've taken out of balance. And we can take one attitude that actually they're a nuisance or we can take another attitude and say, hang on, why are they here? This is the Big Shift for Small Farms podcast. G'day listeners, I'm your host Edgar's Grestet. For most people, weeds are a dirty word. They're often talked about as an undesirable plant in the wrong place. And whilst it's true that some species left unmanaged can cause ecological problems, what if weeds are actually trying to tell us something? Something about that place where they've shown up that we don't know about yet. So in this episode, we talk to a bunch of weed whisperers and what they're saying is, don't blame the messenger because the messenger might actually be part of the solution. My name's Nicole Masters. I'm an agroecologist, which means I look at agricultural systems through the ecological lens in terms of how is everything interconnected? How do we create vibrant, healthy, living landscapes? That's my background. I work throughout North America, Australia and New Zealand, or I used to. (laughs) I have a team that actually still works in Australia and New Zealand. And yeah, we work in pretty much every sector. So if you have soil, then we can probably have a conversation. Nicole is a big advocate for soil health, having spoken at hundreds of events, and she's even penned a book called For the Love of Soil. At the time of recording, Nicole was living in lockdown in the USA, so my co-producer, Susanna Cable, and I chatted with her online about all things weeds, and her enthusiasm is infectious. I wanted to open up the conversation and talk about weeds, and can you just firstly tell us, in your words, you know, what is a weed? It's a really good question because it's so subjective, you know, and, and weeds really, you could say it's a plant that's growing out of place for somebody, you know, so ryegrass would be a weed for a cropping operation or... Um, Uh, you know thistles might be a weed for well most people but um, really when it comes down to what a weed is for me they are plants that are indicators so plants any kind of plant can be a weed in any setting that might be a, a pine tree for example in some environments so it's starting to look at what is what was it that specifically triggered this species to germinate because they're here to tell us something We've really got to ask the question of what is it that this particular plant is trying to tell me and what are they trying to bring into balance? So there's going to be certain conditions that lead to a different plant germinating and those conditions might be you have low organic matter or bare soil, which is nobody in Australia, obviously. Um, Maybe you have a mineral imbalance, you might have a microbial imbalance or some kind of toxin that needs to be dealt with, all right? And there's plants that specifically can deal with toxins. So we've got to look at each of those um, triggers in terms of what is it that this plant is trying to address. So let's say it is a mineral imbalance, there are what we call the dynamic accumulators and thistles would be one of them. Um, and what they do is they will draw up and make bioavailable minerals that are very low in the soil but they concentrate them in the tissues of their bodies and they'll actually release them through their roots as a bioavailable form of say things like copper or calcium or whatever that soil is 
functionally low in. And so you could wait 100 years and those plants are going to correct that. Or you can go, I wonder what is it that this plant's trying to tell me and then do it out of a job. So if somebody has weeds, what they consider weeds in their paddock, what, what's the first steps that they need to take to address the problem? I guess if you're talking about a grazing operation, then what someone would think of as a weed might be either something that livestock aren't eating or two, something that might actually be toxic or dangerous for livestock to eat. So it, it starts with us getting really curious and going out and having a look at where do we see those plants starting to encroach? Where do we see them appearing? Let's say you've got sodium coming up through the soils, which you do have a lot in Australia, and there are specific plants that have adapted to deal with saline or sodic conditions, and they have microbial relationships that are designed to be able to overcome those issues. So they're trying to give you a warning signal. And so you've really got to figure out what are these signals? Why am I getting these species? Is it my management? Is it a microbial imbalance? Has it been because I've been overgrazing or we've had four years of extreme drought and what's happened is as we have bare ground and real dry, then something called nitrates builds up and you get this nitrate buildup, you get a bit of moisture and that signals a whole lot of the nitrate weeds to germinate. So thistles are a nitrate weed, nettles are nitrate weeds, amaranthus family. You guys have loads of these weeds that we call the nitrate weeds because of these conditions of drying and wetting cycles where we don't have adequate ground cover. So all of these species come down to trying to figure out what are they trying to tell me so then I could change my management or I could change the inputs that I'm trying to put in in order to address whatever's causing that germination at the root, literally. And I understand from um, some of your previous talks that you can actually test the weed itself to see what what chemical balance is there. Yeah, so I'm a really big fan of this. So doing leaf tissue testing, so you'd send in um, a sample of those plants, like 20 leaves, you'd send that into a laboratory and send in 20 leaves of a plant that's your desired plant and look at where are they significantly different. So if that plant is a dynamic accumulator, and we've done this with say cape weed, we found cape weed was 10 times the amount of boron in it. Um, think how much it had significantly more um, zinc I believe um, sodium and nitrates and many many farmers are probably aware that um, cape weed is a nitrate accumulator um, and it was significantly higher in calcium as well so we actually used that as our program and we applied those things except for the nitrates um, that it was high and we applied that back to the soil to switch off that germination signal for those weeds and then um, encourage the grasses to germinate instead. So we can do leaf tissue tests and if you find that sometimes the leaf tissue is not that significantly different, then that weed's probably a microbial indicator. So it's telling you there's something, um, an imbalance with some kind of microbes. Um, generally very high bacterial soils so we see this a lot in Australia as well as these very bacterial dominated soils we get specific types of plants so you can do a soil test to figure that out so have a look you know what's happening microbially with my soils and how does that send a signal to specific types of um, plant communities. Where do you send the specimens like is it a, a lab or? Yeah and a, a mo um, I'd say all your agricultural Soil labs in Australia will do these tests. They're not. They're not very. They're not. They're not weird tests by any stretch of the imagination. Some of the stuff that we see that might be toxin buildup, that's going to come from your observations. So one of the things we were finding was radon gas, which is not a problem for you guys in Australia. 
um, but it is in some places in New Zealand and California. But things like maybe you've had a heavy metal build up because of maybe it's a historic horticultural area maybe there used to be a sheep dip there or maybe the previous owners were using a lot of porons or dips and then animals would come out of those areas and then stay in a sacrifice area maybe for a couple of days or a week and then we get these really gnarly weeds that'll actually be trying to mop up those chemicals so have a look and see the pattern of where is it maybe you see some of these really um because often the ones that are mopping up toxins are really gnarly. I'm thinking like Bathurst burr or, you know, like you guys in Australia have some of the best weeds, <laughs> you know, like ones that really are saying, hey, there's something really out of whack here. So it is using those observations or if you do think there's heavy metals or something like that. So there's a process that's called phytoremediation. So plants that are specifically really good at remediating heavy metals. And what comes to mind are things like sunflowers or hemp or is marijuana legal in Australia? I think we're getting closer. (laughs) Almost there. (laughs) So um, marijuana is a phytoremediator, willows. There's a lot of plants that are actually growing to pull either heavy metals or even radiation out of soils. And some of your native weed species will be doing that. You know, and the current mindset around weed control is not working, right? So I think we have over 550 plant species around the world that are now herbicide resistant. They're looking at genetically engineering, or they already have, uh, plants for dicamba and 2,4-D because of the amount of herbicide resistance that's in crops now. Um, This escalation, we're still losing this war. So we really need to change our whole mindset in terms of how do we look at and address these conditions like weeds. So if you think about a lot of the invasive species that you've got, which are often exotic, and the tussocks will be part of that. If you dig them up and have a look at what's happening with those root systems, a lot of them have these very, very shallow rooting systems. And so they don't do well with competition from other grasses that are able to penetrate deeper. But if you overgraze, you're now creating the conditions that they become competitive for. But we also find that those grass species are very bacterially dominated. And by using the herbicides, by overgrazing and using pesticides and all the things that we do in modern agriculture, it sets the scene for more weeds. So it's really our modern farming methods that are creating the conditions for weeds. And so if we start engaging in this conversation of why is it that I have these species? What are the conditions for it? And how do I change those conditions instead of how do I kill it? And, and what's interesting is if we have that mentality of how do we kill it, it's not good for us either. Like it actually affects our psyche. It affects how we feel about our day-to-day lives when we go out onto the operation. If we're always thinking, ah, who am I going to kill? Like it has an effect on our wellness and, 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 and on everything. Like how we interact with our families is all affected by this mentality instead of, oh, wow, you know, why is this happening? And hmm, how can I change that? And so that was one of the things that came out of that book that I published nearly a year ago. Well, no, it's over a year ago now. Was the findings that people found that from changing their mindset towards weeds or pests or diseases, it actually changed everything in their lives in terms of their outlook on life, how positive they felt, the stress levels in their life, like everything shifted. And there's been some really good wellness studies in Australia on regenerative agriculture, looking at how changing our attitude and our mindset towards the things that we see changes our whole outlook on life. And with more and more research coming in behind this to show if you change your outlook on life, you change your well-being, your health, your resistance to stress, heart attack, all that stuff, which is really, really quite exciting. So, you know, from the little things like a weed, how that can actually be impacting across the entire spectrum of your life is really cool. 
Nature is more generous than we sort of often give credit and sometimes when we don't get it right then weeds are sent in to help correct what we've taken out of balance. And we can take one attitude that actually they're a nuisance or we can take another attitude and say, hang on, why are they here? That's Hamish Mackay. He's an educator in biodynamic farming methods, a practice that avoids synthetic chemical inputs and uses natural solutions to solve agricultural challenges. These include things like making compost tea and spreading it over the soil. So in managing weeds, one approach that Hamish takes is to make a biodynamic tea using the weed. That's the approach that we take, is to say, OK, how can we listen to what they're saying and address that? And one of the ways we do it is we make just a weed tea. So you, you take the weed, you put it in water, you put the vitamin preparations in, let it rot down, you put that out over the soil. And that means we don't have to worry particularly what the element in the weed is that it's bringing in. It might bring in 100, it might bring in 1,000, but the one or two bits that are really important, we may not know what it is, but the plant does. And sometimes it's not what it's missing, it's just trying to cover bare ground. It, it can be trying to put a taproot into compacted ground. So it's not necessarily something specifically missing, but there's something not in balance, there's something not right. You know, if I'm standing out in a paddock looking at serrated tussock or thistles, what's your message to people and, and how they should look at that landscape, perhaps in a different way? It's a matter of reading the landscape. So the different plants, be they weed or whatever, will tell you something of what's going on and then you need to work out if you don't want capeweed or if you don't want thistles then what are the circumstances that you you need to bring like dock is bringing iron apart from its taproot so you can go to the mechanic shop and get iron filings and you know wash it out in water and put the water out so you bring iron into the soil so the the dock doesn't really need to be there then you know so it can it can depart you don't have to kill the dock you can start to read what different plants, and I'm, I'm no expert at that, but farmers become pretty, pretty astute at what conditions are calling certain weeds about. But that requires them to have that as a question. That comes back to that unfolding question. They might start with a dock question and end up with a totally different, like it might be capeweed or something else that ends up being really the answer. So you have to have a flexible mind and an inquisitive mind. That's really what makes a good farmer a good farmer. They're inquisitive. They're loving of their, their environment and they're inquisitive. So why do weeds have a bad reputation? Hamish says that it's something farmers are taught before they even step out into the paddock. Back to my agricultural college days, you know, weeds were a plant that you didn't want growing. The idea that actually the weed might be a messenger telling us something about the soil or the environment wasn't a question. You know, it was just, we don't want it there, so we'll zap it. It's relatively easy for the modern scientific mind, if you've got capeweed, the scientists can fairly readily work out how do I get rid of capeweed, how do I poison capeweed. Yeah? That's a fairly simple scientific process. But to arrive at an understanding why the capeweed's there in the first place requires a whole different way of thinking. And we're living in a time when the arts and the humanities are being sort of um, pushed down, STEM is being pushed up. We actually need the imaginative capacities to try and work out why capeweed's there in the first place. Because just measuring capeweed and whatever isn't going to tell you why it's there. 
its presence is the outcome of a process. So if you want to work out why it's there, you have to go start before the, that process started. And modern scientific thinking isn't very good at that. We always treat weeds as messengers, and then it's relatively easy because you say, okay, what, what's the message? It can be everything from you know, a yarrow plant will accumulate potassium and when it dies it releases the potassium into the soil so you find yarrow growing in potassium deficient soils but actually it releases potassium into the soil and thistles are another one you know they often they come for three or four years and then go again they've done their task and i can say maybe it's their taproot fixing compaction or it can be this or it can be that but when i was at school when you did scientific experiments there was always a a plus minus percentage of error we had to acknowledge. And it seems with modern technology, often, or it can be, that whatever is in that small percentage of error is actually the active ingredient. Hamish is not saying that we throw the baby out with the statistical bathwater and forget about scientific measurement altogether. But there is something to be gained from acknowledging that science doesn't have all the answers. I think we've got a lot to learn from indigenous cultures, which is not to say we unlearn what we've got. All the old cultures used the imponderables, the cosmic, unmeasurable, but they recognised it was reality. Since Galileo and that mob, Newton, we've become very focused on the measurable, and now we have to have a conversation between the immeasurable and the measurable. And all our modern scientific methodology and institutions don't allow in the unmeasurable. If it's not measurable, it doesn't exist. There's a lots of unmeasurables that are at work in a rainforest or a market garden or a, a wheat crop. We've got to become a little bit more modest about what we do know. You know. We've got to appreciate what we do, but also appreciate there's still a lot to know. What Hamish is saying is that if we can admit that we don't know everything about our landscapes, it allows us to ask more questions about the role that we play. And if we think about weeds as a messenger in this conversation, and not just a plant out of place, it might help us come to a better understanding of our patch. One man who's cultivating curiosity in the paddock is James Barnett. He works as a grazing consultant with RCS. I once oversaw the management of a large station in Western Queensland. I was out on in this vast plain with the manager and the cattle were grazing in front of us. We'd pulled up and they were just grazing in front of us. And you'd wonder what they were eating. Most people's definition, most of the plants they were eating would have been defined as weeds. They were little short burrs and forbs and all sorts of things, not a lot of what we all think animals eat, which is grass. They have to eat grass. Well, they don't actually. And if you actually sit down and watch what animals eat, it's quite different to what m most of us might believe. So we actually did a, a dung sample test on those animals to see if they were missing anything. And the answer that came back in the test was that they were missing nothing in their diet. It was full of every trace element and mineral that they could ever need and that most grazing animals actually never experience because they were eating all these, inverted commas, weeds. And so in our desire to be nice and tidy, the human desire for tidiness and control, 
we don't like this untidy looking pasture because it's a bit raggedy and straggly and it's supposed to look like a, a bowling green, like a lawn. And in actual fact, that's rubbish. So it's about this diversity where plants are able with tap roots to get down and pull up those trace elements and minerals. And others are able to produce different sugars that will enhance the growth of animals. And so that's about health. That's about diversity on top of the ground that we're looking at. But the recent work that's coming out is that we need diversity in the shape of roots as well and shape and function of different plants and roots. And then when we come to multi-species pastures, if you were to go back 20 years maybe, a lot of the plants that we might consider sowing in those pastures today in the multi-species would have been considered weeds. All we're doing is reverting back to nature again, untidy old nature. So weed management, Yes, there are some weed pests that may be of major issue to us. But, you know, it's extraordinary the number of times when you get that total diversity. Plants that are supposed to be toxic aren't quite often toxic at another time of the year. So the animals, if they have the opportunity to eat at the smorgasbord, will actually pick the appropriate plants for the appropriate time of year. What is it that they need? If we're doing that, we're actually encouraging that diversity and we're encouraging the diversity below the soil. So now we're starting to build the soil. I can think of a particular experience that I had years and years ago. I was with my father and we were driving around with an agronomist and uh, he said, well, I suggest you stop using ryegrass because he said it's a shallow rooted grass. And uh, he said, you need some more deeper rooted species, which was right, he, we did. But what we were losing track of is that ryegrass is the most palatable grass. And so whenever we put stock into the paddock, they'd hit it first. So it never had a chance to produce roots. Whereas the deep rooted, inverted commas, deep rooted grasses were less palatable and had the opportunity to get their roots down. We've got to break so many paradigms to move on in this space and it becomes a really powerful and exciting place to work in. So my name's Claire Edwards. I'm a Senior Land Services Officer at Pastures with the Central Tableland Local Land Services. So my role in terms of pastures is talking to farmers and landholders about what grows in their pastures, how to identify it, uh, the interaction between soil and pastures and the interaction between pastures and livestock. So it's that interaction between soils, pastures and livestock is pretty much where I work. Um, the question I usually get is what is it and how can I kill it? And I say, hang on, let's take a step back and see what the plant is first before we kind of rush in and, and destroy everything. Because in some ways, knowing what it is and knowing what its Achilles heel is actually helps us reduce it or manage it or control it. When it comes to controlling and managing weeds, Greater Sydney Local Land Services has developed a five-year strategic weed management plan. It details all the known priority weeds in the region and outlines their impact and we'll link to the plan in the show notes. But for landholders on the ground, how do you know if you've got a weed or not? Claire has some useful suggestions. So some of the resources can be things like picture books. I love picture books. I think picture books are great. So having a look at the picture book and finding out, you know, 
Is it a grass? Is it a broadleaf? And then going down to that level, what colour flower it is? You know, how big does it grow? When does it grow? Those things are all very important when you're having a look at those picture books. And there's some really good picture books out there. Some people you know, jump on the, on the web and do a web search. That works to some degree, but often it might throw up something from overseas. And so it's not necessarily from, from Australia or from the area that we're, we're looking at. So it can be a bit of a, a the wrong garden path almost to, to find what it might be. But that being said, it's a good start. There are actually a couple of web pages, one of them being PlantNet and Atlas of Living Australia. And both those are very good, but you do need to know what particular kind of family that you're looking at and they really rely on you knowing on that plant but they're really good because some of them actually indicate that they've been found in that location before and so that gives you a clue that it's been found there before therefore it might be what you're looking for there's facebook so having a look at some of the id pages on facebook there's some really good groups and you put up a picture on, on the facebook page and people go yep this is what it is so there's some really good groups out there to have a look at there's some good apps the Weedwise app is through New South Wales DPI. You don't actually need the app. You can also do it through your web browser through New South Wales DPI. So if you don't have a smartphone that's able to do that, then you can also do that at your own computer type thing. And if you know what the weed is, it also has all the different types of management, control management, but also uh, where it's listed in New South Wales in terms of whether you need to do something about it or not. But also it does have those management control measures such as herbicides and what's actually listed and permitted at this point in time as well. So that's actually a really good resource in terms of apps out there as well. You can take a picture on your mobile phone, of course. I think that's fantastic. It's one of the great resources that we have. And we're not then transferring the plant all over the place and transferring seed and everything else if you're going to see somebody with, with the plant. So a camera is actually really, really good. But often you need the seed head and you need the flower colour. So that's actually really, really important. And then who do you send it to? So there's your local councils. So your weeds officers are very important. They can help you. Agronomists, the resellers or the local agribusiness can help you. Or oh, the produce stores, they may be able to, to help you identify it. Ecologists, bush care or land care may be able to know what it is as well. And LLS officers as well, they may be able to help you. And the only other one I've forgotten and all that is your neighbour. Sometimes they might get it wrong, but they may have seen it before. And so they may have had experience with it before as well. So those kind of resources are there to say, well, first step, what is it? Before we kind of get on to, to making sure that, you know, do we need to do something about it? One of Claire's tips around managing weeds is making sure to look after your ground cover. Good ground cover, no bare ground at certain times of the year can actually reduce the ability for that weed to get going and germinate and doing its thing. So in some cases, it's back to the first principles of, of good pasture management. But also, you know, first principles are find out what it is. Second is, you know, how do we use the tools that we've got in our toolbox to, to control, manage or eradicate it? And then the third one is, okay, so what do I need to do so this event doesn't occur again and yes you know droughts sometimes are out of our control but you know having that principle of having good ground cover is certainly very important and then after a drought event for a number of years afterwards is going out and having a look around where you might have fed out around in the paddock where you might have brought your hay so around your hay sheds your silos and having a look at what might have actually popped up that's come through that pathway. And certainly that's important to consider 
that those weeds might be popping up there. There may be one or two of them. Next year, there's 10 of them. The following year, yeah, they've, they've got out of control. So it's getting on top of those. So finding out what it is, is that first step, I think is critical. And to say, well, look, it's not a problem or yes, I need to get on top of it right now before it becomes a problem. Another really important part of weed management is to ask yourself the question, what's going to come back in its place if I get rid of it? You've just disturbed the area. You may have killed the plant. You've got to be bare area again. So what's going to come up after that? And I think that's important to think about because you just may have made a bit of bare ground for the weed to... Thank you very much. I've got my seeds there ready to come up and I'm going to be bigger and better next year. So thinking about what are the other pasture species that you have there to manipulate to grow into that area type is important or what can we replace it with? So that that's important because I think we kind of forget that we once we get rid of it, it's gone, but potentially there's a seed bank there and understanding that seed bank, you know, potentially might like a bit of disturbance and you've just done that. So it's around that whole system approach to so thinking about, well, I've got rid of it. What's going to fill its space? Um, what can I do as a manager to increase the good species, the appropriate species, so we, we don't have that problem occur again? Because many weeds have many different ways of propagating and, and, and dispersing. And so I think we have to keep that in mind that it's not just one size fits all. It depends a bit on the weed. And that's where it goes back to knowing what you've got. We look at what are weeds indicating, learning a lot about weeds, getting excited about it. And then I say to people I work with, now take your eye off the weed because we want to be focusing on what is it that we do want to produce. And those things that used to be really stressful sort of fade into the into the distance because now we're going, wow, we've got more perennials in here. We've got more diversity in here. Seeing people get really lit up because they're like, oh, we found this frog or this salamander or this bird or whatever and they start to get really excited about that diversity and you know if we go back to the thistles you dig holes under thistles there's so many earthworms down there like you might have no earthworms on your whole place except underneath those thistles and it's like they are doing things in terms of breaking up compaction they are feeding microbiology they are part of that succession and to kind of get excited about that biodiversity instead of like Argh. Whether you see weeds as a friend or a foe, just remember, before you go shooting that messenger, make sure you understand what it's telling you about your soil health and your management practices, so you can make the best decisions for your patch. This podcast has been produced by The Grow Love Project on behalf of Greater Sydney Local Land Services. The episode was mixed and edited by me, Edgars Grester, and the executive producer was Susanna Cable. Thanks to everyone who participated in the making of this episode. You can find out more about them in the show notes. And to listen to other episodes, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you know someone who could benefit, please share it with them. Thanks for listening.